Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. Hello, everyone. Welcome here to the final installment, part four of our Christmas Women series. And today's woman is Ruth. Genealogy of Jesus, Matthew 1 verse 1 says this, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, skip ahead a few verses, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And we have this fourth woman in the genealogy of Jesus, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Now, We've been talking about these women in Jesus' genealogy. And so far, the women we've been talking about have had a lot of scandal attached to them. Rahab, uh, Tamar, Bathsheba, and so on and so on. So what's the big deal about Ruth? Because to our modern eyes, Ruth doesn't have any kind of scandal attached to her name. And so to find kind of what the big deal, what what the perspective is, why Ruth is in this genealogy, let's first take a quick tour through the story of Ruth. Of course, Ruth's story is recorded in the Old Testament book of Ruth. And it starts this way. An Israelite man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, during a famine in Israel, head down to the country of Moab to find food with their two sons. They end up settling in Moab. They live there for a number of years. Their sons grow up and end up marrying Moabite women. One of the Moabite women is a woman by the name of Ruth. Then all the men die. Elimelech and both of his sons die, leaving only Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, one of whom is Ruth. So Naomi decides to head back to her home country of Israel. And in an incredible act of loyalty, Ruth leaves her family and her home country and stays with Naomi and goes back with Naomi to Israel to take care of Naomi, where she then also makes a catch of a man named Boaz, wonderful story, and basically in the end, so she marries Boaz and everybody kind of lives happily ever after. It's a great story, okay? Absolutely great story, Book of Ruth, story of Ruth the Moabite woman. Now there's only one complicating factor when we look at this genealogy of Jesus, and when we read the Book of Ruth and the story of Ruth, in the Old Testament. And the problem is this. The Old Testament authors and heroes pretty much all thought that an Israelite man marrying a Moabite woman was an absolute sin. Okay? So, for example, think of Ezra and Nehemiah. Everybody knows Ezra and Nehemiah. Those are two books of the Bible, two of the heroes of the Old, Test- of the Old Testament. Their books come after the book of Ruth. And uh, both Nehemiah and Ezra, it's very interesting to me to think, and this is what many of us don't think about. We read the Old Testament, we read the genealogy of Jesus. We are just so used to, as modern Christians, thinking of Ruth as as this hero in the Old Testament. We don't realize that, that some of the heroes of the Old Testament would have really looked down on the Boaz and Ruth marriage, which is very interesting. 
Okay, so for example, if we go to Nehemiah, I wonder what Nehemiah, one of the heroes of the Old Testament, I wonder what Nehemiah would have thought or what he would have done if he would have been around when Boaz married Ruth. Well, let's go and look in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1. And uh, in Nehemiah 13, verse 1, Nehemiah is gathering all the leaders of Israel together and they're going to read from the law of Moses. It says this in verse 1, On that day the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted. By the way, you have to remember, this is happening after the book of Ruth. Okay? No Ammonite or Moabite. The book of Ruth happens in between the law of Moses and Nehemiah. Okay? Should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel... All who were of foreign descent. So I wonder what Nehemiah would have thought of the book of Ruth. Okay, let's go a few verses later in this chapter. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Verse 25, I rebuked them and called down curses on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. Okay, yikes. Okay, Nehemiah is so zealous for the law of Moses and for God and for the purity of Israel that when he finds guys who have married Moabite women and Ammonite women and, and, and foreign women, he actually physically attacks them and, and pulls out their hair. Now let me ask you something right now. This is just a very interesting thing to think about because we don't often put these stories together. In the book of Ruth, in between the law of Moses and Nehemiah, we have this wonderful story of Boaz marrying the Moabite woman Ruth. Yet here in Nehemiah, we encounter one of the heroes of the Bible. We encounter an author of the Bible who would have freaked out if he had been around for the Boaz and Ruth marriage. And I, I just want to show you because Nehemiah had a buddy and his name was Ezra, who is a priest. And Ezra, by the way, thought the very same thing. And by the way, this is, has huge implications for how we read the Old Testament and for how we understand Christmas. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But Ezra chapter 10, this is what Ezra did when he found uh, a bunch of the Israelite men had married Moabite women and Ammonite women and foreign women. Uh, look what happens. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful. You have married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. So again, according to the law of Moses, he's saying this is a sin. Now honor the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do his will. Now look what happens next. I'm going to put this next verse up on the screen as well. Separate yourselves from the peoples around you and from your foreign wives. Can you imagine that? This is in the Bible, Ezra chapter 10, Ezra is actually forcing these men to divorce, to divorce their foreign wives, their Moabite wives, Ammonite wives, and all of that. By the way, I want to just stop here for just a moment. How does that make you feel? I know some Christians who think divorce is like pretty much one of the worst sins a person can commit. Of course, they're not right about that. But I know some Christians who think divorce is pretty much one of the worst sins you can commit. And yet here in the Bible, we actually have an example. What, you know, one of the writers of scripture, Ezra, actually forcing a bunch of guys to get divorced from their wives because they had married uh, foreign women, including Moabite women. And, he, and according to the law, the men weren't supposed to do that. 
Now, the reason I bring this up, and I think this is so important, is because I want you to realize again, and you're going to see how Jesus brings these things together at Christmas. But I want you to realize, and by the way, I really ultimately believe this is good news, both the Bible and real life are a lot messier than we Christians often give them credit for. Both the Bible and real life are a lot messier than we often give them credit for. And you want to know one of the applications of that is we need to grow in grace. We need to have a lot more grace for ourselves and we need to have a lot more grace for others and a lot less judgment. Because the fact of the matter is both the Bible and real life are a lot messier than we often stop to think or want to admit. And here's the other thing. The Bible can be used, by the way, like these passages I just showed you from Ezra and Nehemiah, and we're going to bring this together yet. But what I'm just showing you is that even within the Old Testament itself, there is tension. We see tension in the Old Testament. Within the books of the Old Testament, we see uh, godly men who are like, you know, you better get divorced if you marry a Moabite. And then we have an entire book devoted to this wonderful Moabite woman who marries an Israelite. There's tension there. And the reason this is important is because you can pull passages out of Scripture to prove all kinds of crazy stuff. In fact, did you know that even within the last hundred years, did you know that uh, uh, racist Christians, and, and lots of, not always Christians who are, you know, not I'm not talking about racist Christians frothing at the mouth, but Christians with racial biases have used passages like this from Ezra and Nehemiah. And we're not talking 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago. We're talking within the last 30, 40, 50 years have used passages from Ezra and Nehemiah to defend having rules against interracial dating. Can you believe that? In fact, uh, 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 one, per, you know, one huge evangelical school, a couple of thousand students in the United States, a prominent school, presidential candidates have gone and given speeches there. You know, hundreds of churches and different denominations support this school. Actually had a rule against interracial dating until the year 2000. That's only 21 years ago. Based on some of these passages. Now, of course, many Christians are absolutely horrified at uses of scripture that, that use scriptures like this to, to, to forbid interracial dating or interracial uh, marry. but the fact, marrying. But the fact of the matter is, many Christians do not understand how to use the Bible and they take passages like these and they use them to support all kinds of, uh, of, of damaging things. So, in terms of practical application today, okay, and this, this is where we're going to come. We're coming to Christmas. We're coming to the genealogy. We're coming to Ruth and Jesus. In terms of practical application today, let me ask you a question. Who should we be listening to when it comes to Moabite women and, and foreign women? Who should we be listening to? Ezra and Nehemiah or Ruth in terms of how we apply the scripture to our lives today? And I'll tell you very clearly who we're to listen to. And that is Ruth. And you want to know how we know this? Okay. We know this because of Jesus. Jesus settles the question. Okay. This is part of the reason Jesus put uh, Ruth, a Moabite woman, in his genealogy. He's saying, once and for all, I want you all to know something. 
the Moabites and the Ammonites and every kind of ite. I'm bringing all the foreigners in. This is no longer an Israel only. This is no longer a one race movement. I want my followers to come from every tribe and nation and tongue. And even though you can find passages in scripture in the Old Testament where that wasn't the case, Jesus changed everything. And in Ephesians 2, we're actually going to see this, but we see it right away at the Christmas story in the genealogy. We see it with God putting Ruth in there. He's like, I want Moabite blood in my DNA. I want Moabite DNA in my human body. But you need to see how Jesus, this Christmas, you need to see how Jesus changes everything. I want to read you a lengthy section from Ephesians chapter 2. And look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Paul says this, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, that's non-Jews by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. And in other words, you know, the Jews. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, so follow along. I got this verse there up there on your screen. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is talking about Moabites, Ammonites, and every, you know, the prodigal sons and daughters and sinners everywhere who were far from God. The separation that was between the Israelites and all the rest of the people of the world in the Old Testament, God, Paul is saying here, Jesus changed everything. He's bringing everyone in. Now look at the wording I just love. No matter what ethnicity, no matter what culture, no matter what, you know, what behavior beforehand, everybody's welcome. Look at what now in Ephesians 2, the next verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups, that's Jews and non-Jews, Moabites, Canadians, Americans, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Okay? In, the, in other words, in the Old Testament, there was hostility. We see it in Ezra and Nehemiah. These were men of God who were zealous for the law of God. And in their zeal for God, they were putting up walls. They were putting separation. They were making the men get divorces in order to get that separation between the people of God and not the people of God. But here we see that Jesus is tearing down the dividing wall of hostility that was there in the Old Testament. Now, how did Jesus tear down the wall of hostility? Next verse, put it up on the screen. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Okay? Are we paying attention to this? Jesus actually changed the law. The Old Testament law that put all the divisions and separations between God's people and everybody else. Jesus actually set aside all of that and he brought together Jews and Gentiles. Now this is so important for our calling because it goes even beyond race, race and ethnicity. Look what it says next. His purpose, this is Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. There used to be, you know, you know Jew and everybody not Jew. But his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Notice that Jesus came to bring the peoples of the earth together. Verse 17, he came and preached peace 
to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. As Christians, we are called to the ministry of peace, not the ministry of hostility. As Christians, we are called to a ministry. This is what Christmas means. Jesus came and changed everything. As Christians, we are called not to a ministry of, of you know, drawing more divisions and more boundaries and pushing people out here and there and attacking. We are called to a ministry of reconciliation and peace. That's why Jesus came. Now, we have to read. Now, this is the important thing. Because we need the Old Testament. The Old Testament is God's word. It gives us the God-inspired journey that leads us to Jesus. But here's the important thing. We need to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus or we're going to go far astray. For example, when you're reading Nehemiah 13, what are you supposed to do? When you're reading Nehemiah 13 in your devotions, and you should read Nehemiah in your devotions. Because Nehemiah is part of the God-inspired, the Word of God given to us that is part of that Old Testament journey that leads us to Jesus. So what do you do now when you get to Nehemiah 13 and you're reading this story about Nehemiah literally, uh, physically freaking out on these Israelite men who have married foreign wives and Moabite wives and he's physically beating them and pulling out their hair. Now, when you take, have your devotions, what are you going to learn from that? As you pray, maybe you're going to feel the Holy Spirit leading you that you need to be more aggressive. Maybe you have some friends in your life who you feel are compromising in, the, in some area of sin. And you feel from Nehemiah that your job is to get more aggressive. You need to go after them just like Nehemiah. And, and hopefully, you know, maybe not punch them or pull out their hair. But Nehemiah, you feel the Spirit is leading you that you need to be more aggressive with them. And you need to be more zealous about sin. So you feel when you read this story, the Spirit leading you, that you need to be more angry and strident about sin sins in our culture, speaking out against them very aggressively. Well, here's my answer to you about that. That's not the spirit of Jesus leading you. That's not Jesus. And that's also not how to read the Old Testament. We need to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. Here's how. You want to know how the Spirit is leading you when it comes to a, a friend of yours who's compromising? You want to know how the Spirit is leading you when it comes to sins out in our culture? Here's how the Spirit's leading you. We have to read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person what? Gently. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. This is how we behave as followers of Jesus. Now, maybe the issue is so serious, you try to restore them gently, and there's still, still you know, some kind of resistance, maybe the, it, it, their behavior is affecting you. Then you, you use Matthew 18, you go there with witnesses and you try to deal with, with it that way. And maybe they continue to do something that's very harmful to you and Matthew 18 tells you what to do there, for, there too. You might need to break off the relationship. But attacking people, what you see Nehemiah doing in the Old Testament, by the way, I'm not criticizing Nehemiah because Nehemiah lived in the time of hostility. That's my point though. We don't. 
Jesus changed everything. He even changed the law. He said, I have come as a minister of peace. Okay? So you say, well, what's the point of the Old Testament? Why read it? Ah, oh, the Old Testament is still so important because the Old Testament is the God-inspired journey. The collection of wisdom books and history and poetry and prophecy that takes us on the journey and gives us the context for Jesus. Okay? It tells you how we got to Jesus, but you'll mess up the Old Testament if you don't start with Jesus. We're not living before Christmas anymore like Nehemiah and Ezra. We're living after Christmas. So when you read the book of Nehemiah, when you get to Nehemiah 13 and you see Nehemiah in his zeal, punching people, pulling out hair, you go to yourself, okay, first of all, the Spirit is not leading me to get more aggressive. That is not what the Spirit's doing in Nehemiah. And maybe before you read the Old Testament every day, you should maybe start with a few verses from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, blessed are the meek and turn the other cheek and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We are following Jesus, not Nehemiah. But there's still lots to get from Nehemiah. But we just have to go in with the after Christmas Jesus goggles. We are now in the time of peace, not hostility. We're now in a time of turning the other cheek, not attacking. And Jesus is our Lord. So now, when you read about Nehemiah, there's lots we can learn from Nehemiah because there's lots we can learn always from the stories of God's people, some of the way he perseveres. Well, perseverance is a character trait of Jesus. We can learn that from Nehemiah and how Nehemiah prays and trusts God. But when it comes to being zealous for God, we don't express our zeal the same way necessarily that Nehemiah and Ezra did. And like I said, it might be a good to start each morning by first taking a couple of verses and passages from the, from the Sermon on the Mount and then taking those Sermon on the Mount uh, goggles. And now when we read Nehemiah and Ezra, wonderful books. These men were living in a time where they didn't have Jesus and the cross and Christmas. And so the way they followed God was a lot different than the way Jesus is calling us to live today. Well, let me tell you a story, a very sobering story, to show you why this is so important. And then we'll, I want to read you a little bit from the Sermon on the Mount, and then we'll be finished. In September of 1637, a group of about 100 Puritan men, okay, the Puritans were deeply committed Christians, they, uh, many of you might know the history a little bit. The Puritans uh, came over to America from, from England to escape uh, religious persecution there. And uh, when they came here, they set up deeply religious uh, settlements in towns and all of that. Anyway, in September 1637, in uh, what is today the present day state of Connecticut in the United States, a group of about 100 Puritan men gathered together. Um, but they didn't gather, they weren't gathering together for prayer. They were gathering together for war because they'd been having problems with, a, with uh, and, and some of it had become violent with, with a, a tribe of, uh, uh, called the Pequot, the Pequot tribe, indigenous people. And they proceeded, uh, a couple of their men had been killed in some skirmishes and they proceeded, so they proceeded to uh, uh, a Pequot village. Uh, Mississic village, now known as Mystic. Uh, it's a town now, Mystic, in Connecticut, but 
was known as Mrs. Stick. And they surrounded this town, which had somewhere between four and 700 people, kids and women and everything. And they proceeded to light the town on fire, close off the ex exits, and kill everybody who tried to escape. Men, women, and children. It was a horrific massacre. And some, everybody in the town, except for just uh, literally a handful of people, escaped. And so everybody in the town was killed by these, every, every one of these men was deeply Christian believers. And somewhere between 400 and 700 Pequot people died that day. And it was the start of a greater war of extermination in which these Puritans ended up also shipping off somewhere between 500 and 1,000 women and children from other Pequot villages uh, into slavery. And they eventually almost drove the, the uh, Pequot tribe into extermination. Now, when we look back on this, what? By the way, you say, what kind of a story is that to share around Christmas? <laughs> the Christmas story comes bathed in violence. What did Herod do when he found out that the Messiah had been born in Bethlehem and the wise men had tricked him? He sent soldiers to kill every one of the two-year-old and under babies. But what makes this Puritan massacre of Pequot, this Pequot tribe of indigenous people, so terrible? We wonder, how could Christians ever do such a thing? Well, these Christians, it wasn't that they hadn't thought of any thought of it. It hasn't that they had worked themselves into a rage and just forgotten their Christian principles. They actually believed they were doing God's will. And I want to put a quote up there. Their captain, John Underhill, explained it this way. It may be demanded, because some people questioned what they were doing. It may be demanded, should not Christians have more mercy and compassion? But I would refer you to King David's war. When a people is grown to such a height of blood and sin against God and man, sometimes the scripture declareth women and children must perish with their parents. Sometime the case alters, but we will not dispute it now. We had sufficient light from the word of God for our proceedings. These people read the, there's a number of stories in the Old Testament where the Israelites, where God's people, you know, went into wars of extermination and violence. And these Puritans read those stories and, and literally they actually prayed about it. They talked about this and they took those stories as justification for then massacring these indigenous people. And by the way, this was not an isolated, just in case you're thinking this was an isolated case, this kind of reasoning was used over and over and over again for centuries here in North America with the Christian settlers. And before that, for centuries, with the Crusades. Now, someone might say, I would never use the Bible to justify murder or extermination like that. Well, thank goodness, you and the majority of Christians throughout history, but too many Christians have. And I'll tell you the reason why. We have not read our Bibles correctly. The Old Testament is God's inspired word that shares the journey that leads up to Jesus. And when Jesus comes, everything changes. The dividing wall of hostility has come down. And that's why Christmas is such a wonderful time of remembrance.
So we no longer behave in those ways. We now follow Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And when we read those stories in the Old Testament, we don't read them as examples to follow. We read them through the goggles of Jesus and the cross and Christmas. And we thank God that he sent his son Jesus to change everything. Now again, many, thankfully, most Christians today wouldn't make the same mistake to that same level. But the fact of the matter is that these non-Jesus readings of the Old Testament still do affect us today. I was reading a fascinating uh, research poll done by Pew Research. It's a very uh, well-respected, one of the most famous research groups uh, in the world today. And they did a research poll in 2007 where they asked people if they would support the use of torture against suspected Muslim terrorists. And here's what they found. They found that 62% of evangelical Christians would support the use of torture against suspected terrorists. But only 42% of non-religious people would support torture. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, how is it that more Christians more, significantly, a significantly higher percentage of Christians would be in support of torture of suspected terrorists than non-Christians. How have we gotten so far from our roots, which is Jesus, who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But it's not just support for things like torture. You might say, ah, oh, that's not me. Massacring indigenous people, that's not me. But you know what? This kind of turning to violence and aggressiveness has infected so much of our Christianity. And it, and it flowers and fruits and, it, and shows itself in the way that we attack, viciously attack Christians who don't agree with us. In the ways we aggressively attack cultural sins in the way we become militant whenever we feel afraid that we're about to be attacked. But my friends, this is not the way of Jesus. And yes, I can, you can find, just like Captain John Underhill, you can find passages of Scripture in the Old Testament which might seem to, to support, you might prayerfully pray over an Old Testament passage and feel like you are being supported to be aggressive and to attack someone. But friends, that is not what the Old Testament is for. The Old Testament shows us the journey that leads to Jesus and shows us and helps us to be thankful and give us context for how much Jesus has changed things. So let me finish this Christmas sermon where we find Ruth the Moabite in the genealogy of Jesus by reading this passage from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, Jesus says to us, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do as Christians. That's the goggles. These are the goggles we read scripture through. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, 
what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The words of Jesus. The Bible points us to Jesus. And now we take Jesus with you and we read Nehemiah and Ezra and we can be blown away by these men of God. And no, we don't copy all of their behavior because we're living in the time of Jesus. We can still learn things from them, but we can also be thankful that this no longer is the way that we walk or handle our problems. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for sending Jesus. Help us to love our enemies. Help us to pray for those who persecute us. Help us to turn the other cheek. Thank you that you have welcomed in the roots because we are all, those of us who are non-Jews, are all the, the Gentiles. We are the Moabites. Thank you for bringing us in. Help us to apply these things to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.